What a great time today. I know it's summertime and uh, there's a lot of other places that's inv- in, uh, inviting to be on vacation right now. There's a lot of people on vacation right now. You might be jealous of them on vacation. I know Lori and I took a couple of days this past week. We get so many days around here and and at the end of the fiscal year, they all go away. They evaporate, maybe like your your place of employment. And so I had a week and a half left in the bank. And so we took four days and we did what any great, smart, empty nester couple would do. They take off and go somewhere. And so we had a great time away. So I don't know whether you're going to be going on vacation this year, whether it's a staycation or a vacation, whether it's a beach at the ocean or it's a beach on Beaver Lake. But I hope that you'll take some time away. I know when I go... I was growing up, always looked forward to that vacation time in the summer whenever routines were aside and we could kind of pull aside. And we went on a lot of road trips growing up. I don't know about you. Now we seem, tend to fly more than we than we drive. But we went on a road trip once to uh, a, a city that you, a little town that you can't even go to anymore. It doesn't even exist anymore. But it, it existed then. Times Beach, Missouri. I don't even know if any of y'all know where Times Beach, Missouri is. But we went there because we were going to see the Six Flags. We were camping there right on this river, and we went to. We were going to go to Six Flags and go on the Screaming Eagle. At that time, it was the largest roller coaster in the world, and I think it's uh, somewhere uh, of 110 feet high and reaches 65 miles an hour today. So it's still, a, I'm sure, a screamer of a, of a roller coaster if, you're, if that's your poison. But we went and we camped on the river, and I can remember we did. We camped, and it wasn't very far just off the campsite that there was a convenience store. I was able to go to that convenience store and walk there. And I can still remember some of those things because it was two years later that we went back for another vacation, this time to St. Louis, to go to a Cardinals game and Times Beach was closed because maybe you are familiar with that, but there was uh, toxins in the water, in the soil and dioxin was in the water and in the soil. And literally the town that we're vacationing in two years later is closed up, boarded up. Don't go there. So if I have any problems in life, I blame it on the dioxin that I swam in, the convenience store that I went to and anything like that. So you think about that. You're literally a part of a community. And 50 years ago, Just 50 years ago, the way we dealt with toxins is we buried it in the ground. We buried it in the ground and pretended it wasn't there. We put it underground thinking it's going to somewhere go somewhere else and it's not going to harm anybody. But we've learned in the 50 years that things don't just stay in the barrels in the ground, that things seep out. They go out into the soil. They go into our gardens. They go into our water reservoirs. They go into our streams and our lakes. And that we end up ingesting them. And what was once a toxin concealed and buried in the ground, out of sight and out of mind, becomes ever so present reality. It may be years later. It may be decades later. But burying toxins in life or in the ground will one day seep out. And when it does, it comes out in as deadly of a force as any. Some of us have had toxins in our life that we picked up through life, that things have happened to us, abuses, offenses, assaults, 
They all create toxins in our life. And unless we deal with them and simply burying them and running away from one side to the other and simply going from this relationship to that relationship, simply moving from that house to this house or changing cities and zip codes, have you ever noticed that problems follow you around the world? In fact, Lori and I, when we went to Zambia, we realized that our marriage wasn't as pure and right and, and strong as we thought it was because the same cracks that manifested themselves in the States, guess what? When we got to Africa, they were still with us. They just became even more pronounced. Toxins. When they get inside of us, until they are dealt with, until there's a cleansing, until there's a purifying, they build up even sometimes greater strength. And when it unleashes, it unleashes typically on those that are closest to us. You may have heard the phrase before. Hurt people, hurt people. Divisive people, divide people. Offended people, offend people. Troubled people, create trouble in people. There's so many expressions of that one. Sinful people, sin against people. Toxins in, toxins out. There's so many ways that you can look at that in our life. Relationships can enrich us or destroy us. Our past can make us better or it can make us bitter. And a lot of that has to do with the things that we pick up in life. Detoxing from hazardous relationships will improve the quality and the stability of life and faith. But if we do not take the time to detox from the hazardous events, episodes, relationships, things of our life, then we will only bury it. And when we bury it, we will eventually live with it. And those around us will live with it as well. Psychology Today lists out about eight or nine different toxic relationship expressions. Anything from just unfavorable relationship, something that's not a mutual relationship can create a toxic relationship where, where one doesn't express love and one doesn't show appreciation and one doesn't, doesn't give favor to the other. And this person over here starving for it desperately, but the other person is manipulative or withholds. Maybe it's because of the brokenness of their life. Maybe it's because of the toxins in their own soul, in their own soil. Whatever reason, and maybe they're doing it will, willingly Maybe they're doing it unconsciously, but it's happening. Toxins that are in the system. Unwholesome, which leads to immoral, unethical, hazardous, poisonous, injurious, and even deadly relationships that are toxic. Detoxing from hazardous relationships improves the quality and stability of life and faith. And before we go too far into looking at our relationships of the past, those people in our lives, maybe it's somebody we work with, maybe it's somebody we live with, maybe it's somebody that we play with, maybe it's people in our lives today, maybe it's people in our lives yesteryear, maybe it's somebody's in our own home. Before we too quickly point to that person, let's make sure we're not full of toxins ourselves. Before we quickly shift the blame onto, well, yes, but I would have, but this person did this to me, and therefore I am only acting out. Listen, we got to realize that every one of us that has been hurt is hurting someone else probably. 
Everyone that is carrying toxins in our life is carrying those toxins into the relationship. Every one of us, no matter who we are, we're all children of Adam and children of Eve. We're all broken and we all bring our level of brokenness to the, to the, to the relationships. In the book of Romans, as we finish up our study today, we're finishing up on a pretty, could be considered a down, but difficult topic to talk about. But in Romans 12 to 16, where we're kind of ending in 16 today, is, is, is been dealing with relationships. Eight different relationships really come out of a, out of a, a solid relationship with God, which is everything he talks about in the first 11 chapters, and then moving to out, out of that, how it affects our relationship with God, our relationship with others, our relationship with the church, our relationship with government, our relationship with our enemies, and even our relationship with people who have toxins in them. And, and Paul is this high relationship quoting person. He has a great understanding of relationships. And just, just to point this out, and if you read Romans 16, you're going to find a person, a Paul, writing this letter. And as he's writing this letter, he's being very personable. He's naming off about 20 different people that probably most days of the week you'll just read through that or not even read that chapter because it's just names. It's just like reading a, a Greek phone book or something like that. But it's actually, if you'll notice this, every time he mentions somebody by name or their family, he gives them a commendation. He's not saying, hey, the church at Rome, you're all awesome and good. No, no, no. He's going to start naming them, naming them, naming them. Now, you got to remember, Paul's never been to Rome. But yet he knows about 20 different people in Rome that are solid believers. Phoebe's one of them. Phoebe's the one who's delivering the letter. She's from the church at Cherea, uh, 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 which is just on the border of Corinth. Corinth is this isthmus of the, of the Greek uh, nation. And it's literally a coastal suburb city on the east side. And she's from uh, Chanteria. And from there, she, Phoebe, is one of the deaconesses or one of the servants of the early church. And she's going to take the letter that Paul Paul's writing here to Rome. And as he takes this letter and she delivers this letter uh, to Rome, he commends her. So Paul is highly relationship. I want us to just, again, in the, in, in the laying out the foundation, let's see some more of the high relationship uh, quoting that, that Paul has. Look at verse 21 of Acts, uh, Romans chapter 16. He's going to list eight different guys. So wherever Paul lives, and he's about 18 months here in Corinth writing this letter, and wherever Paul lives, Paul's in a small group. So whether you're here for 18 months or you're here for 18 years, you need to find a group of biblical community of one another's that you're in relationship with, that are going to pour into you, that you're going to pour into them, and that you're multiplying your faith. And he mentions them. Now, some of these names we'll be very familiar with. Some of these names we may not be so familiar with. So he mentions them there. He mentions in verse 21, he mentions Timothy. Now, we know Timothy because there's two letters written to Timothy from Paul. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. And then he mentions some maybe not so familiar names. Lucius. Lucius was from Serene. We only hear of him one other time in Scripture in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. He picked him up in Antioch and he starts carrying and going with Paul as he goes on his journeys. And then a familiar name or a name that we would know today, Jason. And then another name that maybe we wouldn't know today, So Si Patras. So Si Patra. All right, close enough, okay? It's a, it's a Greek name. It literally means, I had to look it up, I thought, what does the name like that mean? Well, how would a mother name her child So Petrus? 
Uh, but it means this, a literal sending of a message. So God was sending that mother a message. Don't have any more children, or this is a great gift, or I don't know what. So, and then in verse 22, he mentions another name. Again, I'm just reading these names off. He mentions about 20-something names in this entire chapter. Tertrus. And now, Tertrus is, is actually a scribe or actually a menuendus who's actually the, the, the writer of Romans. And he says it like this. I, Tertrus, or Tertius, uh, who wrote this letter. Now, hold, I thought Paul wrote the letter. No, Paul didn't write the letter. Paul wrote the letter. But the collaborating effort of that letter, Tertrus was the one who actually penned it. Paul was the one who was thinking about it. It was much like the book that, the one and only book that I've written is, is that I was giving the writer, uh, the collaborator, the words, the thoughts, the research, the ideas, and the collaborator was putting them out for me, uh, in, in, in that, in that, uh, uh, combined effort. That's much like what's happening here as Paul writes this letter. And then we go to verse 23. I'm just giving you a background. Gaius. Gaius is the person uh, of the house that Paul is going to be staying at while he is in the Corinthian area, who is the host of me to the whole church greets you. And Erastus, now this is important, uh, just a bit of information if you're a history buff. Erastus, the city treasurer, and the brother of Cortus uh, greet you. Now, I think it's really interesting, Erastus is mentioned. If you go to Corinth today, you will find literally a, 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 an archaeological find with his name engraved in it. He was the city treasurer. He's mentioned three other times in Scripture. And as you go there, you will find this guy's name. Archaeology is proving that this is a literal, physical, just giving one more nail in the coffin, if you will, that the Scriptures are accurate and true, both historically and inspirationally, from God. And so we have this historical figure, and he is recorded in history. And these are the people. This is Paul's small group. And he's writing this letter from Corinth, sends it with Phoebe to Rome. Now, I'm giving all that back, back story. Come to verse 19, and you have this beautiful word of affirmation, if you will, for the church at Rome. He says, I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Out of all the letters that Paul wrote, out of all the letters that Paul wrote, verse, that was verse 19, if you can put that up there. I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. He is wanting them to be fully aware of what is going on here, okay? What is a, what's, the, the truth is, is that the church at Rome was a very healthy church. It's one of the most healthy churches in all the New Testament. It's the only place that we know of that there's been a church ever since its founding in the first century. But Paul says this, beware. There's evil out there. There's evil out there, and you need to be aware of it. And so now let's read the whole thing in its context. Verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division. Now, the word watch out for is scopia, which is where we get the English word scope, microscope. Look out for, put under a microscope. Brothers, to watch out for, to put under a microscope. What are we supposed to put under a microscope? Those who cause division and create obstacles. Contrary to the doctrine of what you've been taught. And what are you supposed to do with them? Avoid them. 
For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all. So that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be the wise so, so that the good innocent and what is evil. For God of peace will soon crush Satan under his feet and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What are we supposed to watch out for? The church of Rome is a healthy church. Why should you watch out for anything? Listen, if you're healthy, Satan is going to come after you. If you're unhealthy, he's going to come after you. But we better believe that, that in life that there's no safe place that we are totally isolated, not even in the church from Satan's attack, not even in our Christian homes are we free from satanic attack. We need to be aware of that and we need to have our eyes open. We need to watch out for, we need to scopio. We need to look through a microscope at certain things. So if I were to go back to Times Beach, Missouri, what would I be looking? I would be looking for toxins. What am I supposed to look for in my relationships? I'm supposed to look for toxins. I'm supposed to keep my eyes open, my eyes peeled, my eyes alert. So what are the toxins that we need to see, that we need to be aware of? The relationship toxins, if you will. Relationship toxin number one is the relationship that builds walls of division more than bridges of peace. If you're in a relationship that is all about the fight and the argument and the win and the score and the keeping records... You're in a toxic environment. There are those who live in the sense that they're about to divide and conquer. Again, hurt people, hurt people, divisive people, divide people. They don't bring people together. They tear people apart. They create divisions and, and separations. They put walls of division versus bridges of peace. When you think about our attitudes and the way we deal with the aggressors out there and the way we become aggressive, there's probably two spectrums that you can look at. There's the violent aggressor on one end of the spectrum, but then there's the passive aggressor on the other. And I know there's a lot of other examples in between there, but let's just deal with one at a time. The violent aggressor is the one who's going to cuss, spit, fume, froth at the mouth. They're going to look like the devil in their face whenever they're mad. All right, you're going to be fearful of them. They're going to break things. They're going to hit things. They're going to yell. They're going to take their voice to the next level, just to top your voice at your level. They're, if you're going to throw out that word, well, I'm going to throw out this two, these two words. And if you're going to do that and you're going to threaten that, then it's just this one great big hot mess. And you better hope the windows in the house are closed because the neighbors are going to be able to keep a good record of this argument. And then there's the passive aggressives. Those are the people who, okay, I'm just going to silence up here. But I'm not going to let you even into my circle. I will talk about it, but I'm not going to talk about it to you. I'm going to talk about it about you. I'm going to talk about you, not to you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to skirt around whenever you want to talk about it, whenever you're wanting to deal with the issue. And I'm going to literally just close up. No, nothing, nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong at all. 
You, you know what I'm talking about because you're probably one of the other of them. And neither one of them builds a bridge of peace. They actually build walls of division and separation. And we need to be aware of that because they can happen anywhere in the church. And that's where Paul's addressing it to the church. But it happens in the home first before it happens in the church. It happens in our own lives. It happens in so many ways. We got to be careful. How am I being aggressive in the relationship? Am I being the peacemaker or am I being the aggressor who is being aggressive? Who's building these walls of division? In, in, in the book of Proverbs, this is an issue since mankind. Again, you look back to Cain and Abel, they kill one another. Talk about aggressive. That's when your brothers have really sibling rivalry there. But in, in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 and, and verse 19, it says this, the six things that the Lord hates, the seven that are detestable to him. Listen to this. A person who stirs up conflict in the community. You want to know what really God gets under God's skin? You can talk about murder and child porn and pedophiles and you can talk about all that kind of stuff. And that, that certainly is going to, that's going to rank right up there and it's going to set God off. But you want to talk about what sets God off? There's six things and seven of them are detestable to him. And one of those is a person who stirs up conflict. This is the way t- uh, Paul tells, tells young Titus to deal with it. In Titus chapter 3 verse 10, he says, As, far, as for a person who stirs up division... After warning him once, then twice, have nothing more to do with him. There absolutely is a separation at this point. If you can't reconcile, if you can't build a bridge of peace, if you're going to build walls, then we're going to have to, we're going to, have to be a, a line of separation. Detoxing from hazardous relationships improves the quality and stability of our lives. Paul, again, I point to Romans. There's no point of correction, no point of admonition. There's, there's strong leadership. He mentions them. Priscilla and Aquila were house church leaders. They, those were incredible disciple makers, both husband and wife, both teaching, both leading, both giving input. I love the, the, the mutuality of that. And even Priscilla is actually the one who's led out in every, every time the name is listed. Uh, the, uh, Paul's never visited Rome, but he says there's no conflicts. He's going to go to Rome. He wants to go to Rome, but it's only to stop over on his way to Spain. He has no intentions of staying in Rome because the church in Rome is healthy and strong and and, and moving forward. But at the same time, what's he do from chapter 12 to chapter 16? He talks about relationship. He talks about relationships. He talks about relationships. He talks about relationships because if you want to tear any movement of God apart, tear it apart at the relationship. Whether it's your home, it's your job, It's your church. That's why in Romans chapter 12, verse 9 and 10, he says, Let love be genuine. Arbor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. If possible, Romans 12, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. In Romans 12, 19, vengeance is mine. Listen, don't worry about getting even. Don't worry about even the score. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Are you erasing scores or are you keeping scores? Romans 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything. So you're not keeping score. Owe no one anything except to love them. Except to have a love relationship with them. 
bolstering unity and the bonds of peace is what you look and you see the Roman church about. It's what we want our families to be about, lives to be about. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the children of God. An acid test. A friend of mine said it like this. Peacemaking requires repenting when we are wronged, but forgiving when we are wronged. Doesn't mean that everything goes back to the way it was. Doesn't mean that it didn't erase the wrong. Doesn't mean that you go back into an abusive relationship. If there's repentance, you can work on that. But what it does is I have got to do everything I can do to build that bridge of peace. And once I've done that, once I've given myself sacrificially to the conversation and I've done everything I can do, then if there can be peace, let there be peace. James chapter 3, verse 18, those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Michael Lettner used to be a member of our church. He lives in Oklahoma City now. He's built bridges. That's one of the things he did. So I actually talked to him about this before. I said, Mike, is it, is it more difficult to build a bridge? Is it more costly to build a bridge? Does it take more engineering skill to build a bridge than it does to build a wall? He said, absolutely. He said, to build a wall, all you have to do is be able to calculate the dirt and the soil, and the soil is going to bear all the weight of the load. But when you're talking about building a bridge, you're talking about spanning two differences. You're talking about a lot more geometry and engineering. You're talking about trying to, 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 to go from one side of something to another, and they got to meet in the middle. You, you, you've got one side, if it's a city or if it's a state or if it's a, if it's a country. In this case, in this example of the, the bridge that goes over Victoria Falls is a 1909 bridge. Built in 1909, still stands to this day. We have a team that will be on this bridge in less than two weeks from now. In fact, they leave this week. And I put this up there because this is actually, I have a photo of this in my office at home. Reminding me of the falls, but also reminding me of the bridge, building bridges. It is more work, it's more time consuming, but it's a part of what we're to be about. Being makers of peace. Versus building walls of division. Number two. You know there's a toxic relationship when the relationship has lost its moral compass of God's truth. Notice what he warns them. Now he doesn't give any specific examples. I don't know if Paul was just saying, hey, you know, beware, keep your eyes open for this. Because this is one of the greatest moves that Satan can make in a church, in a home, on a team. Is to create division. So I don't know because there's no other time that he ever brings it up. Again, any commendation or any exhortation or any or any prophetic rebuke of anybody. So he doesn't even name names here. But he just brings it up to the awareness. Hey, keep your eyes open for this because this is going to be out there. If you're dealing with people, you're going to be dealing with situations where truth is going to be compromised. Moral compass is going to be compromised. Notice, I appeal to you, brothers, but you watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that has been taught. Now, if you remember what he says here in this passage of Scripture, or what we said in Romans chapter 12, it says, if it is possible, if possible as far as it depends on you, 
be at peace with people. I, I realize this, that, that sometimes it's not possible. But if it's possible, you're going to do everything in your power to bring peace, to be a peacemaker. And if the other person is willing to build the bridge to peace, then you build your part to peace. Then you can achieve that unity again. When you think about that, if, if the other person is not, if the other person is, is obstinate, if the other person is unwilling to change, then it's going to be difficult. So if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Everybody that you can be at peace with. Here's the reality, though, is that some people are not on the same moral compass as God. And whenever you have somebody off moral compass from God, they begin to compromise this word, the teaching of God's word, and they begin to live by a different standard, then you're in a situation that can be compromising. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, this applies to your teenage kids when they go off to school. This applies to you and me as we live out our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. A time when I don't want to compromise and and give myself over to just peace giving in, if you will, or giving in because I'm supposed to be the peacemaker. That doesn't make peace. But whenever I compromise the moral standards, that doesn't build peace. When I'm going to live at a moral standard and they're going to live at a moral standard, we're going to build this bridge together, then we can reconcile. But if they're not on the other side going to build according to biblical good engineering standards, if you will, time-tested, stress-tested principles, then it might be better for me to be somewhere else. And I would rather be divided over the truth than united in error any day of the week. Detoxing from hazardous relationships improves the quality and the stability of our faith. He tells us to look out for the obstacles. This word obstacle in the Greek is the word scandalon, which is where we get the word scandal from. Where literally there can be scandals that emerge up inside of a relationship, that manifest themselves because of the toxins that are in us, that manifest themselves because of the toxins in the other people. And we got to be careful and be aware that because if they get us off course of God's truth, then we are off course completely. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, talks about how they were devoted to the apostles' teachings. The early church looked at this book as the compass to God's truth. And if ever a relationship were to take us off course from this, we need to detox from that. Now, let me pause here for a second. Because I have heard in my years of pastoring, too many people point to the person over there or the person over there, or the person in their life as the toxic one of their life. And sometimes you peel back the layers and you find out that, I think the toxin may be in you and not in them. And the example I, I give is whenever, if we're not careful, that we don't label truth toxin just because we don't like what is said. We need people in our life that will get in our business. 
You know what that is. That will tell us what we don't want to hear because we need to hear it. That, we, that, will, that will challenge us. That will call us out. Proverbs 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Some people will only surround themselves with people that agree with them and that are agreeable to them and that won't call them out. But a wise man listens to advice. Who in your life is the contrarian thinker of your life versus the one in your life that only agrees with you? Is only an advocate for your thoughts. Who always affirm, hey, good idea. Hey, you, you deserve the best for you. And they just agree with you. Affirming your thoughts and the voices in your head. Who's the contrarian thinker in your life who challenges you? I thank God that I have some one another brothers that Point Blake will tell me, Mike, you're wrong. And if you don't have people in your life that will tell you you're wrong, then you are wrong. And you may be carrying toxins through life. Beware, you need a moral compass. Otherwise, there will be toxins that will infiltrate your life. Number three, relationships that are narcissistic and prejudice. There's a narcissistic bent to them. Narcissism has been around for centuries. We just continue to improve on it. We just continue to, to, to domesticate it. We just can continue to bring narcissism into our life. Narcissus comes from the, from the old Greek mythology of Ovid and, and this young narcissist individual in this, in this uh, mythology peers into the water and he looks into the water and he falls in love with himself as he peers into the water until he falls into the water and drowns. Now, when we were driving through Greece, our tour guide said, that's the lake over there. And she pointed it out on the outside the window. She said, that's where supposedly narcissists drowned in the water, as legend says it. Narcissism is a dangerous toxin that comes inside of us, that's developed over the years in us, even in good domesticated environments. Yet narcissism is one of three dark triadic personalities, psychologists say. Dark triadic. In that it is a malevolent quality personality that will come upon us and we won't even realize we have it. Oh yeah, those that generation over there, they're... That, listen, if you're a boomer in this generation. You were called the me generation. Those are the gener- that's the generation that was born, at, born to those who were parents were of the Great Depression, who, who, who were the war generation, the greatest generation ever, ever, ever lived, Brokaw said. And that generation gave birth to the boomer generation. And they were called the me generation because they were going to not live in poverty and they were going to have what they wanted and they were going to work hard and they were going to get it. And they did. And they, they bought for themselves. And you, some of you in this room are a part of the boomer generation, the me generation. The builder generation came after them and they're the ones that my generation and we've been about the experience about getting and and having and going and experiencing out there. And now we talk about the millennial generation like there's some toxic uh, rare breed out there all self-consumed. In reality, it's just a part of who we are. National Institute of Health did a study on narcissism as a disorder. They found that narcissistic personality disorder is nearly three times as high high for people in their 20s and for the generation 65 and older. So we're born almost narcissistic. 
56% of those in college students scored higher on narcissism scale in 2009 than those in 1982. Millennials got the bad rap all the time. We talk about them. But again, remember, it started with the boomer generation, the me generation. But 40% of them believe, believe that on their job, they should get a promotion and a job raise in their job, whether or not they uh, had a performance worthy of that. They just, because of a spirit of entitlement, a spirit of privilege, you owe it to me, you need to give it to me. Beware of it, because it comes into marriages too. It comes on the job, it comes into marriages. And the thing is about narcissism, you have it and you won't know you have it unless you have a, one another brother in your life speaking it out. Asa Brown, Psychology Today, said it like this. People who are toxic are rarely aware of their toxicity, of their own toxicity. They are too self-absorbed, preoccupied with their own emotions and their own interests and their own needs and their own goals to be aware of the needs, the goals, the interests, and the emotions of others. Look at verse 18. These people that cause division, these people that are obstacles that create a different dynamic, a different paradigm to live off of than the doctrines of the Scripture, he tells us to avoid them. And then he goes on to describe them a little bit more. He said, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ. They don't serve our Lord Christ. Who do they serve? They serve their own appetites. They're in love with their own self-gratification. He creates two different camps here. The camp that serves the Lord, the camp that is obedient to the Lord, and the camp that serves themselves. I like the way he describes the church at Rome in verse 19. He says, your obedience is known to all. There was something about the church at Rome that they, they had not been polluted with the narcissisms or they had ex, expelled the narcissism uh, from, the, from their lifestyle because they became obedient to all. Obedience in all that God had said. They were not holding back. They were not, they were not seeking themselves and going to be obedient in this category and not into all. He says, your faith, and it says in Romans chapter one, verse eight, your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Your faith is so incredible. I'm not trying to make them perfect, but I'm trying to say this about them. There was something right about them. One of the things that was right about them is that they were, had surrendered obedience to the will of God. Enough so that everywhere and everyone around the world knew that they were solid. They were committed. Detoxing from hazardous relationships improves the quality and the stability of your life. How does this happen? Do I just hang on? I'm going to stamp out narcissism of my life. Talk to your spouse. Am I a narcissist? They may tell you. They may not. You may not want to hear what you hear. How do you deal with this? Verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I love that statement. The God of peace, and then notice the violence, will crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace, that's what I want. That's what I want my relationships. I want the toxins gone. Has got to crush Satan under his feet. This is Paul referring back to Genesis chapter 3. In the very first messianic prophetic statement about Jesus, before he ever came, 
Thousands of years before Jesus ever came, there was a messianic prophecy, and it says this in, in Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. Who is that? It's Satan. He shall bruise your head, but you shall bruise his heel. He's going to smash you. You may bite him. You may bite. You might bite man. You might bite woman. You might give them the, the disease of narcissism. You might, you might give them bad foundations and a moral compass. You might do all that. But listen, I'm going to do something incredible. I'm going to crush you. Listen, I'll say it to you like this, as simple as I can. There's no way. No way. You're going to get rid of the toxins of your life until the God of peace crushes Satan and the toxins of your life, the sin of your life, the selfishness in your life, the narcissism in your life, the wall building in your life. Do not build a bridge to anybody. That's why I warn people when they go from this relationship to this relationship. If you've not done everything you can in this back relationship to get resolve and peace, if you've not done everything, even if they won't build a bridge with you, if you haven't done everything, don't think you're not going to carry some of that forward. You will. Just to bow our heads. I want you to think deeply for a few moments. Not about the person in your life who's been the corrupter, the offender, the abuser. Because whether or not you can ever reconcile to them is not what this message is about. In fact, he even says you might need to avoid them. You might need to go in the other direction from them. What this message is about is making sure there's no toxins in your life. Will there be pain? Yeah. In fact, right now, for some of you, the pain is more real than it's been in weeks. Just by the conversation just by the topic. Would you do this? Would you say, God of peace, crush Satan. Crush the toxins. The antidote for the toxins of our life is the blood of Christ. If you don't know the blood of Christ, if you don't know Christ in that kind of way, today I encourage you right where you are to say, Jesus, I need you. I need your blood. I need you to not only deal with the toxins of my past, but deal with the toxins that I have poured into others. God, forgive me. Set me free. And do it by the blood of Christ. And if you've never prayed a prayer like that before, you've never given that part of yourself over to the Lord, I want to rejoice with you. I want to know. Please come and tell me. Because there's some next steps. It's not going to be a one and done, in and out. It's not going to be a quick pill, fix, pixie dust blown on you. It's a process. I want to pray for you right now. And I want you to participate in this prayer like this. You're saying, Mike, right now, I am struggling with toxins in my life. 
toxins I've generated or toxins I'm processing through. And I want to lift my hand up to God and say, God, I need you to crush Satan and his toxins in me. Just lift up your hand and put it down. Thank you. Anybody else? Lift it up and put it down. Just say, God, I need these toxins out of my life. Thank you. Thank you. I don't want to live with this toxin anymore. I don't want to pass it on to the next generation. Father God, you see the hearts. You know the hands. You know the people. You know what's going on. We can't hide, Lord. We ask that you do a work in us, but not on the surface. Don't clean us up. Don't make us all beautiful on the outside without making us whole and clean and pure and right on the inside. And God, if we never go back to that destructive relationship, so be it. But as we move forward, may we be set free from our own narcissistic ways our own lack of a moral compass of your word and your truth and your doctrines. May we be bridge-building, peacemaking children of God. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand and worship with us.